Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. We are ready for the second half of Ephesians this week. Ephesians 4 uh, through 6 is going to be the the walk. Mm -hmm. We've talked about the calling in chapters 1 through 3, and the opening line of chapter 4 is really the hinge of the book. Kind of turns on that hinge. He says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. The old adage, right? Can you you can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, true. That's I mean that's exactly what's going on here. Chapters one through three is the talk. Chapters four through six is the walk. And so here we are. Uh, we're going to pick up in chapter four. I'm just going to go ahead and read verses one through six. Today might be a little bit of a shorter podcast, but uh, we really want to slow down and look at several of the things in these six verses. So I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Let's read God's word together. Ephesians chapter four, verse one. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Yeah, it just hits the ground running in chapter 4. Yeah. <laughs> so much to unpack in these first few verses. But again, as uh, we just mentioned a minute ago, um, Paul is kind of turning here. He, he's given the concepts that they need to understand and chapters 1, 2, and 3 of this letter, which again, it didn't originally have chapters in it. It right. was just written as a letter. But in the first half of the letter or so, he said, here's what God has done for you in Christ. And now, here's how you need to live. And Paul has used the word walk a good bit already in the book. He's going to use it a good bit in the latter part. He said, um, back in chapter 2, when he was talking about you used to be dead, he said, you used to walk following the course of the world, the prince of the power of the air. And then at the end of that section, he said, you've been created as God's workmanship um, for good works, which God prepared for you to walk in them. And so when you think about a walk, it's a, a daily practice, one step at a time, but it's an ongoing way of life. And, so, and sometimes we use that, like I say, they come from all different walks of life. Yeah. Um, and that's what he's saying is like, this has got to be, you You are now entering a new walk of life. Yeah. you got to walk worthy of the calling. I don't know. What what else comes to my mind when you think about walking is routine. Um, I especially think about in a culture where you don't drive to work, but you do literally walk to work or you walk places. And just like now you have your routine, you have certain places you go and there's a certain path that you take to get to your destination. And I don't know if that's part of what's going on here as well. It's just the idea of having a routine, the, the path that you take, the, yeah. the how, way you're going. How you live. I mean, that, that exactly. is what he's talking about, is your manner of life. Yeah. Um, so walk worthy of the calling. And that's kind of interesting to think about because the calling, it's like God has called you. He has communicated to you and says, here's what I want. And that's way up here. 
And now the way I live needs to be worthy of that calling. And there's a very real sense in which none of us are worthy in and of ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's why it's called grace. We need God's mercy, his, his grace to do this. But we're, we're aiming for that level. It's like God has given us this incredible calling of showing his wisdom to the world um, and being his workmanship that reflects his glory. That's a tall order. And now he's saying, okay, when you live, when you go to walk in your life, think about that calling and walk worthy of the calling. Step it up to the level of what God's called you to be. And so what he's going to do, one of the big themes, you've already talked about this in the first half of Ephesians, one of the big themes here is unity. Uh, unity between the Jews and the other nations, the Gentiles. Um, but now he's going to talk about very practically, okay, that, that sounds great on paper. Christ yeah. has torn this wall down, but it's hard to be one uh -huh. with people who are different from me. Like, how do we make this work? And so he's going to give, depending on how you read it, five or six qualities here that if we do not have these attitudes, we're never going to be unified. Yeah. And we'll say from the outset as well, all of these are intentional choices. I mean, they're all things that we have to go into and say, I am going to choose to be more humble in this situation. And so from the outset, we just want to make that clear that Paul is calling us to make decisions that maybe we've been in the habit of not making. Yes. So these, uh, at least the way I count them, I think there's six here, right? So humility... Okay. Gentleness, okay, patience, and mine says bearing with one another. I'm reading okay. the ESV, um, love, and then eagerness to, to maintain. Okay, great. Unity, at least the way I, I read those six qualities. And so we can just take a minute, and kind of slow down, yeah. think about each of these. The first one you've already mentioned, uh, Chase, is humility. Yeah, and I think this is really interesting because humility is something it's easy to talk about, very hard to do. It's how we view ourselves, how we think about ourselves. Do we view ourselves as higher than others or the same or lower than others? Like, what is humility? But the, the relationship that's interesting to me is the relationship between humility and unity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the, the way you see yourself is going to dictate how you treat other people. Exactly. And if there's going to be division you can almost always trace it back to pride. Absolutely. Is it someone saying, I would rather do my thing than do what would help the whole. Yeah. And, and it takes humility to say, I, I might have a different preference, but I'm going to humble myself and do what is in the best interest of everybody. And in a, and in a group of people, if everybody is sitting there going, I'm just going to do it my way. I don't care what anybody else thinks. That's naturally going to have a lot of division. <laughs> yeah, that's there, that's no, not, there's no unity there. Someone, and really everyone is what Paul is saying, is going to have to humble themselves and stop thinking of yourself more than you ought to. Mm -hmm. And this is true. I mean, when you think back during, I uh, think about Mark, you know, as we studied through the Gospel of Mark, all the different times that Jesus had to say, time out, apostles. <laughs> yeah. You guys are arguing over who's the greatest. And guess what? You're divided now. You're mad at each other. James and John are like, hey, Jesus, we want to sit at the right and the left. We call shotgun. And the ten are like, they, they beat us to it. And, and she's like, stop. You can't act like that. You need humility. One of the times he brings a child up and is like, think about this. You know, this is the humility of a child is what's going to make you more fit for the kingdom. Humility is one of the outside of love itself. We'll talk about love in a minute. 
humility is just it's a prerequisite for unity if we're not humble we're not going to be one uh-huh looking at this next one i think it goes hand in hand because i don't think i don't think almost said jesus i don't think paul is saying at all points you should just shut up and not voice your opinion on anything i don't think that's the case whatsoever we need to humble ourselves not think of ourselves too highly but if there is a disagreement in a group of people we need to be able to address that disagreement and show our side of things in a gentle way. Mm -hmm. We don't need to come like a bull in a china shop, pushing our way through and trying to just get everyone to submit to our way of thinking. Be gentle. It's okay to voice that you think differently. The Jews and Gentiles thought differently altogether on certain things or on many things. Paul is saying be gentle whenever you go to discuss those things. Is that what the ESV says there as well as gentleness? Gentleness, yeah. Okay, great, yeah. So, um... I really like that humility and gentleness are right next to each other mm-hmm. um, because when you do have a disagreement, it's okay to voice that, but be gentle in doing so. Mm-hmm. And so this is like when you communicate. It's not just what you say, it's how you say it. And, and that's so much harder to do this because, again, it's easy for us to accidentally have friction with other people because of how we say something. Yeah. And so we're not just giving thought to, I need to do this from humility. I need to say the right words that are not arrogant or proud. But I need to think about how it's going to come across. And there's going to be times where we accidentally hurt each other. That's part of this. We're going to talk about tolerance in just a minute. But gentleness is so important. This is also one of the fruits of the Spirit, by the way, in Galatians 5. um, The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. And think about how gentle God has been with us. I mean, if he had come in like he had every right to do. He just blown us away. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is God's gentleness that um, makes us able to have a relationship with him. And so if we're going to have relationships with each other, we got to think about not just what we say, but how we say it in a spirit of gentleness. Yes. Really going along with that, the next one is patience. Mm-hmm. Um, not only are we gentle in those moments, but we're also patient, waiting for those moments to happen. And it's not always good to just come in guns a-blazing every time there's a disagreement. Take some time. Be patient about it. You'll know the right time to talk about different issues. Yeah, patience sometimes translated long-suffering. Mm-hmm. And that idea of putting up with something that is frustrating or hard is so important. I mean, patience, again, another one of the fruits of the Spirit. And also the first thing in the, the series of uh, qualities of love in First Corinthians 15. Love is patient. patient. Uh, we need this if we're going to show love to each other, if we're going to act out of love and be unified. We've got to be patient with each other because there's times where we are going to, you know, say something wrong. We're going to do something wrong. We're going to fail. We're going to sin in some way. And again, it is God's patience with us that inspires our patience with others. This goes back to the prayer that Paul offered in um, chapter 3. Where he's like, if you know the love of Christ, that's going to fill you up mm-hmm. to show love for others. And here, God's patience with each one of these things, God's humility, God's gentleness, God's patience um, helps us work with each other. What did the ESV say after that? The next one in the ESV is bearing with one another. Yeah. So mine says showing tolerance for one another. Mm-hmm. That idea of tolerance gets thrown around a lot uh-huh. in yeah. our world. And tolerance, sometimes it, it gets taken to an extreme of like, 
oh, if you tolerate something, you have to like celebrate it or accept it. But that's not the idea of tolerance mm -hmm. at all. The idea of tolerance is when you are putting up with each other. It's like there's something that you don't agree with or don't like, but you are not reacting to it. Mm -hmm. You're not coming down hard on that. And so when we show tolerance for each other, it's it's right in line with patience or right before that. It's a very similar idea where like if something is annoying or something is frustrating or something is eating at us, that we're showing, we're bearing with each other. We are saying, yeah, that that's a thing <laughs> that is frustrating to me. But we we bear with each other out of love. Of course, the next quality will be love, but it, it it's so important to see just how love shows itself by bearing with other people. Mm -hmm. And again, if we're frustrated by the weaknesses of others, we need to go take a look in the mirror and think about, wow, you know, what are other people putting up from me? <laughs> it's like if they put up with me, you know, with these weird, you know, uh, habits or whatever it is that I have, then I can I can surely bear with them. And again, to think about, wow, how much God bears with us, bears with our weaknesses and shortcomings. You know, we can keep going back to that list in 1 Corinthians 13, but it reminds me of the quality of love when it says love is not irritable or resentful. Mm -hmm. It is willing to be, it's tolerate. Yeah. It, it, it is patient as love it. Love bears all things. Yeah, exactly. Bearing with one another. Mm -hmm. um, so that gets us to love, bearing with one another in love. Right. And of course, we talked a lot about this uh, last week in the podcast talking about Paul's prayer for them that they may know the uh, how, how does he put it the four dimensions the uh, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth uh -huh. to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge if we're going to bear with each other if we're going to be patient and humble we've got to come back to the love of Christ it is our love for each other that's going to bind us together. Actually, over in Colossians, there's a lot of parallels between Ephesians and Colossians. Um, he says something very similar to this. Um, see if I can find it here real quick. That um, love is the, the thing that binds us together in perfect unity. It is um, Colossians 3.14. Here it is. He says, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Colossians 3.14. So that's just cool to think about that. That again, love is key to unity. Yeah, mine Yeah, mine says, which is the perfect bond of unity there. Mm -hmm. Did you say harmony? Yeah, it binds okay. everything together in perfect harmony. I'd be curious to look up the yeah, original on that. That's cool, though. It's a beautiful thought. Um but again, this biblical love is something that we choose to do. This isn't just a passing feeling, oh, I feel love for this person or that person, but it is a choice that we make. Mm -hmm. I choose to act out of love for this person. Um, and part of that, again, is bearing with one another. When you love someone, it doesn't mean you agree on everything, but it means you bear with them. I mean, all of this is seen ultimately in Christ. Christ made a choice to love us. He made a choice to be gentle and patient and humble himself, uh, it all just goes back to him. Mm -hmm. Amen. So in verse 3, uh, your translation... Um, eager to eager. maintain the unity. Mine says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Yep. 
And that's really important because sometimes when we talk about unity, there can be a, a, a kind of dragging, dragging our feet. Well, I guess they are my brother and my sister, so I, I'll, I'll deal with it, you know. Yeah. And we kind of like, well, we'll have unity, but if we have to. Yeah. You know? And, and like, what it's really veiled, it's just saying, I'll shut up about it for now. And what that does is it gets to the resentment side of things where it just kind of boils up and boils up and then it all blows up. And that that's not what's being talked about here. It's an eagerness to truly preserve the unity of, of the spirit and the bond of peace, really wanting peace and being willing to have any conversation, whether hard or easy, or being willing to give up anything, whether hard or easy for the sake of that unity. And, and eagerness makes such a difference, doesn't it? It does. I mean, when you're doing something, I mean, it may be out of obligation, but there needs to be driven by a, like, I want unity. Yeah. There are people that don't want unity. They're like, I, yeah. I want to do my thing, and I really don't really care if other people want to do that thing or not. I don't care if I'm one with them or not. And it's like, when you go read Jesus' prayer in John 17, he's like, God, like I'm praying for my disciples and I'm praying for the future disciples, like that they may be one. If we have the heart of Christ, that's going to be our prayer. Like, please make us one. Please make us unified. And it will make us eager. And I like that yours says diligent Mm -hmm. um, because eagerness, I think more about like the inner, like my own desire, but then diligence is like the actual action. Like I'm being diligent, doing the things that make for peace and make for unity. Yeah. And so... Two scenarios, right? One scenario, someone's wronged you and they come to you and they say, well, it's been a few months. We might as well talk about it. And the Bible says we have to. So let's just go ahead and get after it. Let's figure this out. Or the guy who comes to you just days after he feels like he's wronged you or vice versa. He says, hey, brother, I I really, I think we messed up here. I I would like to communicate about that and Mm -hmm. get on the same page. And and let's preserve the unity that we have between Mm -hmm. between each other. Those are two vastly different conversations and two vastly different outcomes, really. Mm-hmm. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Be, be diligent. When you know that you've wronged someone, go talk to them about that immediately. Um, come in with a calm head, a cool head. Follow all these different aspects that we've already talked about, being gentle and humble. But clear that up. Don't let it simmer. Yes. And I also think it's cool the way he describes the unity. There's going to be two words in this section, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, that talk about our unity and here he says we need to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit uh, i think yours says preserve mm-hmm. the unity of the spirit and the idea of maintaining or preserving something is like it's already there and we need to protect it and what he's about to talk about in these next verses is the seven ones they're like seven things that make us one it's like don't mess that up like you're already one in a sense but don't further divide yourselves. God has done this. God has made you one. He's given you this unity of the spirit. Now you preserve it. You maintain it. A little bit later down in verse 13, he's going to say, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And we'll talk about that in another episode. But that's like a unity is a now and a not yet. And the kind of unity he seems to be talking about in verse three is like, maintain this unity that God's already made. Mm -hmm. He's already given you, but keep striving to attain the unity of the faith down in verse 13. That's until that's something we're working toward that we're not unified yet perfectly and we're growing and we need that same eagerness 
to preserve unity, but also to attain a greater unity as we come to a better understanding of things. Yeah, and he calls it the bond of peace, that which is the bond of peace. And um, if you're going to be united in the spirit, looking to it to, to unite us, having the same spirit that dwells in all of us, there's naturally going to be, that's going to be bound together by having peace with one another. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's another way of saying that like the, peace is the fruit of having the unity of the spirit in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the fruit of the spirit is peace. Yeah, very that's good. Yeah. So it gets us into the seven ones. Yeah. And this is really an interesting study. It's also interesting there are seven of them. Um, there's several different sevens if you look, especially yeah. in John's writings, but even in Paul, there's several times where you'll see the number seven come up. But one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. And there's a couple other details about like the hope and God and Father, but for the most part, Paul just launches in after talking about you need to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Now, here's what that looks like. Mm-hmm. These seven things make us one. And when he says there's one of these things, he doesn't literally mean like, there only one exists, but he's saying there is one true version of these different things that we are unified in. Unity has a standard. We can't just talk unity and say, oh, we're all one. We're all one. Let's just get along. Well, what are we unified in? What makes us one? Because clearly God's people are to be different from the world, different from even other religious people. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so these seven things are things that ought to make us distinct by following the true one of each of these different things. And for starters, he talks about the one body, which if I'm not mistaken, this is something we've already actually talked about to a certain degree. Am I right about that? Yeah, he talks about one body back in um, chapter 2 and verse... In verse 15, he talks about creating one new man in place of the two, and it's verse 16, mm-hmm. and might reconcile us both to God in one body Yes, that's through right. the cross. Yeah. So this is a super cool idea, um, and especially important for Jews and Gentiles to understand that you're, you're not separate, but when you're in Christ, you are all part of one functioning body. And he's going to clarify a little bit later who the head of that body is. It's going to be Christ. But this is an analogy Paul uses here. He uses it in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, talking about that aspect of we all might have different members and have might have different strengths, but we're all functioning as one body. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the way we need to think of ourselves. It's one of the closest analogies you could use. Yeah, it's like very personal. We are one family or we're one building. There are other places where he'll use that analogy, but one body is really like, wow, you're part of the same physical body. Like when I feel pain, you feel pain. Mm-hmm. Like we are so closely connected that we could say it's like we're part of the same human body. And, of course, he's used this back in chapter 1 to say the church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head. The church is the body. There's a unity that comes as a body because we all have one head. The reason my body works together is because it's all taking instructions from the same brain. Mm-hmm. And if my, you know, one of my hands or legs or something decided, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing today. Like I'm going to start making my own decisions. Like that's going to cause some disunity and some real problems in my body if it's not all listening to the head. And so the one body is the one group of believers that are committed to Jesus as king, Jesus as head. And it is our commitment to his authority. 
that makes us one. If any of us decide to go renegade and do our own thing or think our ideas are better, it's not going to be one body anymore. Right. Um, because there's going to be a different head that's being followed. It's also interesting, right, if that he uses the one spirit analogy, which we've talked about this, I think, in the last episode, this aspect of God's spirit dwelling in each Christian. Um, when we put on Christ in baptism, his spirit dwells within us. And we're not going to go into all the details of what that means. I don't even know if I fully understand everything that means. <laughs> he did bring it up back in chapter 2 again. Exactly. 18, we both have access in one spirit to the right. Father. So it is cool to think about God's spirit being in each of us individually, but because it is all the same spirit, that unites us together. That, that kind of pulls us all together, having the same spirit in us. And... Um, Oh, there was something else I was going to say about that. Oh, yeah, but it's cool to think about this spirit being the same spirit that Paul talked about back in chapter 3 that is talking to him or is giving him revelation concerning the things he's writing. So the same spirit that gives us God's word is the same spirit that's dwelling within us. Yes, exactly. And it's notable that all three persons of God are mentioned in these seven ones. Three mm -hmm. of the seven ones are... Oh yeah, uh, that's a great point. From God's, from who who God is, right? One Spirit, uh, there in verse uh, four, and then uh, in verse five, one Lord, and that's going to be Jesus. Um, he is often referred to as the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul write back in chapter one, and then the Father in verse six. Obviously, one God and Father. Um, so there's only one Spirit. There's only one Lord. There's only one God and Father, and all three of those persons of God are what unite us. We are committed to God and all the ways that he expresses himself to us. After one spirit, um, he says, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. And this one's yeah. really interesting uh -huh. because hope, if you were to like say, okay, like, what is the one hope of the Christian? One word, like just come up with it, and you're like, go. We we can probably come up with a lot of different words. Yeah, like, Jesus, uh, Jesus is our hope. Uh, yeah, salvation. Yeah, forgiveness. Heaven. Heaven. Yeah. Like, there, there's so many ways to express the Christian hope. But what's interesting to me is, when, like, when you read the book of Acts, one of the things that Paul consistently talks about is, I am on trial for the hope of the resurrection. Because when we talk about hope, we are talking about something that we don't have yet. We're hoping for something we don't see yet. And resurrection really is, it sums up a lot of those things. Uh, back in chapter 1 and then chapter 2, he talked about the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that raises us spiritually in chapter 2. And there's lots of other places in Paul's writings where he'll talk about, that's our hope, is that God's going to raise us from the dead. And we're going to be with him forever. So however you express that, I think resurrection is an idea that ties several of those different things together. I'm not saying it's the only thing you can say, but Christians have a common future forward-looking outlook of on this life. And that's one thing that helps us because, like, hey, we're both looking forward to the same thing. Yeah. And I mean, you think about the hope of the calling. So when you were called, when you became a Christian, that's one of the things that I think attracts all of us to Christianity as we go, man, I hope that... It, it's not just all about here because I don't like it here. You know, there yeah. are a lot of things that disappoint me that hurt me that are awful and just I, that I don't like. And so when we heard about Christ, as we heard about the resurrection and as we hear about this future calling that we're going to have, 
there's a lot of hope in that compared to what's left here. And so as you think about all Christians, even before they obeyed the gospel, that's the one thing that they were all united in is I have the hope of being resurrected and going to be with the Lord, which is super cool. There, there's a way off of this earth, basically. And um, that's cool that call, Paul call, Paul calls attention to this being um, something that unites us, is this hope that we have. Yes. And it goes into one Lord uh, or one king. This is the word for master in verse 6, uh, verse 5. Uh, cool. One Lord. And again, this would be the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And again, I think about like one general. One commander of the army yeah, is that's one cool way I like to about. think about this. Is we're taking different orders from different you know leaders. We're not going to be unified, but there is one master, one general who's calling the shots. He's directing the army, and we march in step with his commands. And when we do that, it's going to keep us in step. It's going to keep us fighting against the actual enemy. And we're not going to get confused as to who we're fighting against. In chapter 6, he'll talk about being a soldier... And uh, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against these, you know, world powers, these uh, rulers and principalities in the heavenly places. And Jesus is our Lord. He's our commander mm-hmm. um, leading us forth in battle. And, and so we have one faith, one faith in that guy and yeah, in Jesus. One trust. Yeah, one trust in this man or in this God, Jesus Christ. And that's something that I think flies in the face of a lot of things we hear, you know, that there are multiple phases, that there are multiple paths, right. and that's not what the scriptures teach. Yeah, there, and they, there's one faith. The, yeah, and there's the others that exist, but right. there's one true one. Exactly. And there is one question about here, the one faith. Is he talking about, like, one trust in Jesus, or is he talking about the faith, like the body of teaching? Um, mm. One faith, because later he'll say, like, until we attain to the unity of the faith. Right. Both are true. Right. I'm not sure which one exactly Paul has in mind when he talks about like one faith that we have. Because there's also a sense in which like your faith may be at a different point than my faith. Sure. On a personal level. But we're all attaining to the faith, like the teaching of Jesus. Okay. And so between does one faith mean one trust or one teaching? It's kind of both um, of those things. Yeah. And it depends on the context, which one it means. Because um, it can mean either, yeah. uh, depending yeah. on the context. But regardless, if we trust Jesus, we're going to be taking his teaching, <laughs> his his orders as, as commander, as the thing that unites us. Yeah. So one baptism. Um, this is the only mention of baptism in the book of Ephesians. And baptism is one of those things. It is discussed in some of the other epistles, but where we see it the most discussed is in the book of Acts. Um, We see people, that is what they do whenever they want to repent of their sins. They are baptized to have their sins forgiven. This is very specifically mentioned in Acts 2, verse 38, um, when Peter is preaching and tells them what they need to do to be saved. And I think it's really interesting. There's another passage in 1 Corinthians 12 that mentions uh, several of the different ones kind of all together and he says this in first corinthians 12 and verse 13 for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body which is really interesting so you've got one the spirit, spirit one baptism <laughs> one body so you've got a baptism in the spirit and also in the body into so, the body into right. the body that's really cool to think about and so i, I do think when you look at it because their baptism is used lots of different ways mm-hmm. we don't have time on this episode to go into all the different ways baptism is used 
But when you, again, just read the book of Acts, read the New Testament, the baptism that unifies Christians is immersion in water for the forgiveness of sins. Mm -hmm. That is where they contact the blood of Jesus, Ephesians chapter 2, and, and they're we, forgiven. And we enter the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. That's baptized right. one spirit into one body. So it's cool to see when you see one of the ones, always look around for the other ones. Uh, they, they come up in the same context a lot. And so baptism here, I think it's probably, in some ways, the most controversial of the seven ones that are mentioned here. Because there's people who say, oh, well, like baptism isn't necessary or it's a different kind of baptism. But I would encourage anybody listening to really dig into that question. Why does baptism make the list here? It is one of the essential, central things that God wants us to be unified in. It's one entrance into the body of Christ. One baptism. We were immersed into the death of Jesus, raised to walk in newness of life. And if we all had that same starting point and we all have the same hope, the forward, the ending point, those are things that unite us, how we start and what we're pressing toward in the finish. Yeah. So in verse six, one God and father of all. And so we understand this idea of God kind of being the creator, this, this great being, the, the one who is over all. But I love the word father to also describe mm -hmm. God. This is something that's been on the forefront of my mind for the last several weeks because it feels like every different study I'm in will talk about God being the father. And that's a comforting thing for me to think about. Um, I'm very blessed. I had a, I have a great dad here on earth. Think about all the things that he did for me. But on a much larger scale, God the father are, is all those things for me. He's my provider. He is my he's the one that takes care of me. He's the one that forgives me. He's the one that shows me grace. There are just so many different ways that God is this father figure to me. Um, and as I am also now a father of a 16-month-old, it is it is a blessing to be able to think about it in terms of that. Mm -hmm. And the fact that there's only one father right. is used to talk about that unifies us in the body of Christ. It's like if I have been baptized into Christ's body, I'm now brother and sister with all of these other children of God and we have one father we're not subdivided by our ethnicity or our economic class or our nationality or our language or any of the ways that we divide ourselves there's one father we're all one family and it's so important to think about that and, and, and thinking about God it says he's over all and through all and in all all through the first three chapters it's talked about how God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. He's the one who's worked this thing that was a mystery and now it's an open secret. We know that all nations are one in Jesus. One father. It's just cool to think about how he's the one in control of the storyline and is now, he wants all nations to be his children and to come into the body of Christ. So it's just a beautiful way to conclude the seven ones and thinking about how one father brings us all together. Yes. So being a united church, the Lord is going to give things or people is a better way to say that in order to keep the people united, in order to keep them growing. And that's what Paul's going to get into in the next section in verses seven through 12 or seven through 13 is what has God given in order to continue to grow this church that he has created. What are the gifts that he gave? So we'll get into that, Lord willing, next week. 
If you guys are enjoying what you're hearing on the podcast, uh, please subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. If you're interested in further study, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. 717-585-0949, capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information on other Bible studies, you can join capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.